I think again it's just sort of don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows you know you're, you're going to go through moments of great growth and it's so exciting and you're conquering the world and then there the are moments where it's like it's tougher and it's a grind and the team aren't that happy and your investors aren't that happy and it can change so fast trials tribulations mistakes barriers successes and failures hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion dollar businesses to those that are just starting out winner of the campaign publishing award for best business podcast in the uk successes in the mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism everyone claims to be an entrepreneur but can everyone live up to the title what does it take to start a business to get your product into a high street store or grow a well-managed team I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. Freddie Ward is co-founder of Wild Cosmetics, a direct-to-consumer subscription deodorant company with a heavy focus on natural ingredients and cutting down on plastic waste by supplying refillable deodorants. Having just closed a £2 million funding round, Wild are disrupting an industry that, to date, giants like Shaw and Gillette have owned. Before Freddie's entrepreneurial life, he started out as the fifth employee at HelloFresh back in 2012. Freddie worked his way up to director of marketing before he decided to start his own company called Wild with a lifelong friend. Wild already has a loyal following of over 100,000 customers, selling over 300,000 deodorants in their first 18 months. In this episode of Success is in the Mind, I asked Freddie about his time at HelloFresh, the pros and cons of crowdfunding your business, and the experience of building a brand with a close friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Freddie Ward. Freddie, you studied a master's degree in history at the University of Edinburgh, but your entire life has kind of revolved around marketing and looking into the future. How helpful was that history degree in hindsight? Good question. I think obviously university was was just a good time to to sort of grow up and learn to be a bit more independent and kind of take responsibility for kind of working towards something. Definitely some transferable skills into to kind of entrepreneurship and uh, um, and and starting businesses. And then with history, you know, there's quite a lot of writing, quite a lot of I suppose analyzing stuff that that then you know does become relevant when you're when you're looking at kind of marketing, but probably relatively tenuous links and you know very generalist education i suppose kind of veered in, into a different route as i as i kind of left university and, and went into my first kind of proper job so what were you like at school before you went to university were you quite an academic child no i'm, I'm dyslexic i wasn't bottom of the bottom but i wasn't i you know definitely wasn't particularly academic sort of ground out some some reasonable grades in the end but definitely didn't didn't come naturally to me kind of studying and 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 working so yeah i would definitely not class myself in the in the kind of academic <laughs> group you say you're dyslexic when did you realize that you were dyslexic was it because your parents put you through different courses to to understand that or was it just by luck that your teachers told you i think there were kind of a few telltale signs when i was kind of i suppose late sort of sort of 10 plus around that kind of age things like struggling to tie my shoelaces um you know not not able to to do a tie and bits and pieces like that and then got a bit of help and you know was really well supported 
wanted and and it hasn't held me back and you know when you kind of understand dyslexia a bit more there are a lot of kind of upsides and and a lot of traits that I think link quite nicely to entrepreneurship definitely don't see it as something that's that's held me back or or something that I'm you know, worry about at all. I mean, a lot of a lot of successful entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, for one, uh, is dyslexic. I'm dyslexic myself. In terms of, you say that there's positive attributes that you can associate to dyslexia. What are they? I think as kind of an emotional intelligence, you know, I think you tend to over-index on, on being good with people, but maybe not being good with writing or analysing stuff or, or, or whatever. And, and I think, you know, people is where business starts. And if you can be good with people and, and you can connect with people, whether that's your employees, your investors, your customers, for me, that's that's been critical. You know, that that's kind of where I tend to focus on on, on, a, on a strength of mine versus some of the more technical stuff that I would, you know, in a, in a business like Wilders now, I try and hire for some of those areas that I'm not as strong in. And we'll get on to that later. But when you when you graduated university, you went into into Firefly Tonics, which is a, it's a great brand in and of itself. Now, you did sales within that role, which again, is a people orientated role. Was that because you realised that you were quite good with people after graduating from uni because of the dyslexia? Or was that because you didn't know what you wanted to do? I think ultimately I failed to get into any graduate scheme um, <laughs> is, is the reality of it. I think I, I, I always got stuck at the, the first kind of barrier of all these tests and psychometric tests and things. And just, I don't think I got one single interview and I applied to all the kind of Unilevers, Mars, etc., whatever. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to have to take a slightly different approach to this and was kind of quite interested in the food scene at the time and started to sort of look into startups and was like, well, well, this sounds fun and, you know, maybe it's easier to get into a startup than it is into a larger company. So that the Firefly, my first role was not very glamorous. I would fill a rucksack full of cold drinks and ice packs and I'd trudge around London <laughs> going to shops and cafes trying to persuade them to buy this new range that that they'd bought out. And and it and turned out that that range was a total flop. But it, it was, you know, it's it's a again, it's a great experience. You kind of you're you're learning how to 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 talk to people and and you kind of um I, I sort of they had a, a really nice office in the middle of like bishop's park just really fun friendly people and i was like well you know maybe firefly hasn't quite worked out but i definitely think startups feel a lot more fun and welcoming than than larger companies so that's kind of where i started to to focus and you went into into quite the startup which actually has become quite the monster even though they've only just started to turn over a profit but hello fresh you were the fifth employee when you when you joined as uh, as a sales rep at that point as well why did you get into hello fresh it was a bit of a change of tack there Again, sort of food and drink, I suppose, is, is quite a similar world. And I was looking to leverage the experience I had at Firefly into, you know, into a startup. And, you know, recipe boxes were just really just beginning to start. I mean, no one thought they were a particularly good idea. And I wasn't too convinced myself, but I thought, look, this sounds really fun. Yeah, again, just I, I always say this, but, you know, startups have very little budget to hire. So if you do manage to find the role tucked away somewhere, you've got a very good chance because I think for that role at HelloFresh, five people applied, two of them dropped out. Wow. One wasn't suitable. So, I mean, it was it basically they had to hire me if they wanted to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more than more than Unilever did when you went for those application processes and they said no to you. But in terms of actually finding a startup and taking that risk, because that in and of itself is quite a risky move because there is no track record. They haven't had you know really any growth and you go in there as the fifth employee because frankly they had no other option but to hire you you know it could have gone wrong there and then and you could have lost that job as well are you are you acutely aware that you are quite a risky guy <laughs> i think you know there's a lot of luck and 
in life or you know already i see see myself as just you got you got lucky and um and and you learn a lot from from those experiences i think you know my my big feeling now is that the risk in your early on in your career is is not that massive really because you you're just starting out you're you're figuring things out even if you go somewhere really safe like i don't know an investment bank or insurance or whatever you may well get 6 months in and realize you don't enjoy it it's much better to you know go somewhere that you can you can feel passionate about the product and you 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 feel excited to to kind of get up in the morning and you kind of get learning and and as i said it was just pure luck from my side that i stumbled on a business and an idea that that had legs and and had a good team that 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 could execute it and they're sort of renowned for being one of the world's most ruthless food startup employers now what was it like when you started there was it quite cutthroat was it quite aggressive or 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 is that sort of fake news i think that's fake news to to be honest with you i mean definitely they're incredibly ambitious and building a 10 billion dollar business in 10 years is phenomenally phenomenally difficult and and the guys at the top are just incredible operators and i think it's impossible to keep everyone happy you know i think the same you look at brewdog in the press who've been taking a lot of slack for employees and people being unhappy but the, the reality is you know you're hiring when you're growing at that speed and you're you're in such competitive cutthroat markets you're hiring lots of people you, you make lots of mistakes and the the most important thing is you've got to learn fast move on and 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 kind of keep evolving otherwise otherwise you die and and i think often what's not reflected is there is there's a lot of employees in this businesses that have incredible opportunities and amazing support i think what hellofresh were really good at my my ceo in the uk was was younger than me so i think he was 22 um, and i was 20 24 you know they gave us a huge amount of ability to go and make it happen and 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 to step up at every stage and if we weren't capable of stepping up they would hire someone else in to do that but we we were always given the opportunity to give that and and yeah you know you work hard but ultimately it wasn't crazy i definitely wasn't working like a goldman sachs or mm-hmm. or, or or kind of legal firm and, and i enjoyed it i i just i absolutely loved it i loved going to events at the weekends and talking to customers and things going wrong in the office i mean i i think food delivery is the one of the hardest businesses in the world because you've got stuff live in your supply chain 24 hours a day and this stuff is going off this stuff is kind of not turning up you know and 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 for your customers like if i don't deliver a deodorant a day late then it's kind of it's all right you might smell for a day but you're not going to be but if you (laughs) if, if, if you don't deliver food and people don't have their dinner they they are really not very happy so there's there's a huge amount of pressure but also combined with the need of like the businesses don't work as small companies so you, you, the only way recipe boxes work is if you get them to a very large scale pretty quickly so that there just has to be this focus of we've got to grow otherwise we can't get the leverage in the supply chain to make the fundamentals work for our for our customers and and you know there were some hairy moments along the way but now you know they've been incredibly successful may i say far more successful after i left i think they've <laughs> 10x their value in the stock market i hope that's not completely connected no not at all i mean getting it off the ground is one of the hardest things you know once it's off the ground it's it's not plain sailing but it's a little bit easier because you have a track record <laughs> 
you uh, and your team were traipsing through London, handing over millions and millions of flyers to to punters as they walked by. This was sort of pre-social media, pre-influencer marketing. You know, flyers were one way of marketing and starting a business. Did it work or was that sort of, you know, a lot of time for not much reward? What we were at HelloFresh is incredibly data-driven. So we were only investing our time in things that we knew we're going to work and grow the business. And social media did exist at that time. It was hard and and not as easy to scale and, and not as understood. You know, a lot of companies were, were doing big tube adverts at, at the time, but we didn't really feel we could afford that. Or certainly the, the problem with tube adverts is you need to spend 30, 40,000 pounds of investment to, to kind of test it. But the whole tube thing actually happened by accident. So we got sent back a whole load of flyers from a partner that didn't want them or, or, or let us down. And we were struggling to hit those months. Like we had one day left in the month. I think we needed, you know, something like 50 customers to sort of deliver our goal. Um, and we were like, okay, well, um, Friday afternoon, let's all just go and hand out these flyers at the tube station. Kind of a bit of a joke, did some filming around it, bit of a kind of team bonding exercise. And then we came in on Monday morning and, you know, everything's tracked, all the data. And we looked at numbers like, oh, wow, that's that's actually slightly more successful than we than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> we kind of built an offline version of Facebook. So we had every station in London in an, in an Excel spreadsheet. We would do three shifts in the day. So we'd do a morning, lunchtime, um, evening shifts. And we'd be doing hundreds of shifts a week. And we would track how many flyers you hand out per hour, what your conversion rate was in in every location and every person all the different creative variants so it's kind of like a lot of what facebook does but doing that in the an offline world yeah it was it was, it was it was incredible while it lasted i think you wouldn't get away with it from a sustainability perspective <laughs> you know it was pretty rustic we would literally we would get in at seven o'clock in the morning we'd fill up these cricket bags with flyer parcels we nearly got kicked out of our building <laughs> we had a, a bomb squad threat so we the the like police bomb squad came up to our office um because someone had left a, one of our boxes next to a bin it was a bit of a crazy time and and again we didn't pay for any licenses or anything like that so we were kind of certainly pushing our luck in certain areas you kind of grind it out and you work and as i said i think we did over sort of 10 million 10 million flyers over a kind of 18 month period and and it was an absolutely massive growth channel the London Underground was the single most concentrated area of high quality customers that you you have in the UK. You've got, you know, you're basically indexing for people who are, you know, working in London, they're busy, time poor. So, so it was absolutely the perfect targeting for us. If you're looking at just pure performance metrics, there was absolutely no comparison. The, the flyering was 10x more effective than than putting putting a big billboard up or a tube car panel up and you worked your way up to the top of uh a top of the chain really in terms of marketing with with the job title director of marketing but then you decided to throw it all away jump ship and start your own business why did you do that i think it was like it was an amazing experience six years i probably wasn't the right person to go to the next kind of level so just it just felt like the the, the right time that the business had ipo'd there was a bit of kind of change going on they were sort of you know, it was a very, very big business at that time. And a lot of it was like calls with very senior people in a centralized location. And and it it, it wasn't set up for people like me who just like to try and make things happen and, and not get sign off and ask for an apology later. It, you know, it has to become bigger and more structured and more process driven and more hierarchical. And 
And I think at that stage, it was sort of like, wow, I've, I've learned so much. I've absolutely loved this, but it's time for time for a change and time while I've still got the energy and the enthusiasm to go and try and try and have a go with something myself. So you decided to leave, obviously. You came up with this brilliant idea, which I'm amazed hasn't been done before, which is essentially refillable, recyclable deodorant, right? It's it's really innovative. The packaging looks incredible online. Can you remember when you came up with that idea? Because it's similar in terms of subscription model to HelloFresh, but a totally different product. Yes, yeah, so as my, myself and my co-founder, Charlie, we've both been kind of working in the D2C sort of space. I got some advice actually from, from someone who said, look, if, if you're going to start a business, try and try and leverage some of the skills that you've learned in your previous role. So you have some sort of strategic advantage when you're when you're kind of going into it. So, you know, I, I'd understood a lot about the dynamics of subscription and, and how that works and some of the challenges. So really wanted to find something that, that could have a subscription element to it. And then I think it was, you know, really obvious that sustainability was the, the kind of forefront of of change and and where a lot of the action was happening and and where the dynamics of being a startup really play into your hands because a lot of large companies are struggling with legacy supply chains cost bases and authenticity challenges you know some of them are doing great work but the consumers are like well i'm not sure they want it from that brand or they 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 kind of trust it so I kind of felt like look, the world was going to go through a massive tra- transformation in the next three to five years that was going to be focused around sustainable and purpose-driven brands helping to take you know more conscious consumerism into into the mainstream and you know originally we actually looked at, at trying to do um, an ethical fashion marketplace but then we realized that we really knew nothing about fashion and we were miles out of our our depth so we quickly rode back and kind of focused on the bathroom you know i think again that there were a few brands doing kitchen refillables and sustainable stuff in the kitchen and and we were kind of like well no one's doing anything in the bathroom and the bathroom's one of the areas where you have the biggest problem where there's loads and loads of plastic and very little of it's recycled because you just throw it all into the bin at the end of the week and that all just goes into to the kind of rubbish. So think on a kind of macro level, it's like there's a huge opportunity here to to rethink how we use and and think of bathroom products. And in terms of the team that you have, you have you know roughly 40 staff in the business. Obviously, you had a team at HelloFresh, which you'd have to manage and, and delegate to. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs you know, go into business having never had a team around them, having never worked for anybody. Did that help working for HelloFresh and managing a team when actually trying to grow one organically yourself? HelloFresh allowed me to make a lot of mistakes. You know, there's one thing I learned there, like hiring is so important. It's not an intuition thing. I just thought like, well, I kind of know what a nice person is and I know if someone's hungry and I'm going to ask them a few random questions and then if they fit my kind of criteria they haven't really thought about, then I'm going to hire them and we'll just go for it and see what happens. And then as we grew, it was like, well, what we need is experience. We just need to like hire experienced people. Let's bring them in. They'll know more than us and we'll learn from them and we'll just hire because they've been at this great company. And, you know, those in hindsight were were, were, were very bad, naive decisions and painful ones that we often had to to kind of go back on. So I think try to be a lot more structured and thoughtful with with interviewing and and hiring and and set expectations. You know, it's working at Wild is is really hard. We're asking a lot from you. We're a small team trying to make big change. So it's impossible to to fully get that across to people, but we really try and set expectations that this is, you know, not for everyone. It it's 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 a hard working environment, but it's really rewarding if you if you are 
it, it, this type of environment is somewhere that you you can enjoy and you know we're trying to do something positive we're trying to create change and you know we're certainly excited and passionate about it and we try and find other people who can galvanize us and you know been incredibly lucky with our team so far you know that has been it's it's always central to success but really has been super key to where we've where we've got to so far and you look at the market when you started you said it was three million quid what's the market valuation now then i think wild is 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 got quite a nice percentage of that market i was gonna say yeah so i think it's definitely probably close to 10x where it uh where it was and what sort of market share because you must have owned the whole market within a couple of months really quite frankly what sort of percentage of that market do you do you own now as a business i i think wild is definitely sort of 80 percent of the market at the moment wow okay so what sort of revenue are you guys turning over so eight eight figure revenue in in this year so you know we're we're on the right track and yeah growing growing pretty quickly because in 2020 you launched a kickstarter campaign for five thousand quid you raised 12,609 quid which with 454 backers that is a small amount of money to start a brand start a business like this I know you've recently gone through a much larger fund for two million quid but what can you do with 12 and a half grand when you're starting a business <laughs> you can buy some stock and and validate what you're doing and and kind of get off the ground I mean I think that was actually a failure for us. We wanted to do a lot more and, you know, it was a learning experience. Again, at, at that stage, the product was just a natural deodorant. It wasn't very innovative. And we were kind of trying to say to the crowd, well, fund us and then we'll then we'll do the innovative packaging. But they were like, well, like, we, we don't really see that vision. So, you know, a lot of that Kickstarter was probably people being kind to us, family and friends being like, oh, these stupid idiots. But we'll, you know... We, <laughs> They're handing us, so we got to buy buy them. You know, a few few new people. So I think that that was probably one of the first, not total failures, but it, it definitely wasn't defined as a success and bought us a bit of stock, but ultimately wasn't enough to really get the business going. So we had to go and raise some external capital. You know, kind of after that. And I think really for something like Kickstarter to work, you you have to be able to capture the imagination of those customers, and a lot of it is about the design and the and the innovation. And, and we we had that and we were working on it but we didn't want to share it or put it out there so it was kind of a bit of a weird stage and we, we probably got our timings kind of a, a bit wrong and our haste to to kind of get something up and running but what, what we were able to do is send that out and actually you know we were far more successful when we came off kickstarter and started in our own universe and and we validated that look natural deodorant is is a thing it can exist as a category and the unit economics can kind of work and once we knew that we we're like okay well let's let's run with this and and go bigger and in terms of the reason you wanted to initially raise five thousand pounds what was the logic behind that because you know yes you over raising that's great yes it might not have been enough money but why go in initially with a five thousand pound sort of pre-seed so we put put a bit of our own money in as i said i think ultimately if you can avoid dilution and not take on external capital gives you a lot of freedom and a lot of room to deliver things we, we knew that it was possible to do that. And I think when I look back, if we'd executed really well, we, we may well have been able to, to bootstrap the business. And, and and I also think at that stage, lots of money doesn't really help you because you don't need lots of money. You just need to stay scrappy. You need to kind of learn and you need to validate. That's what we got from it. We, we validated a lot of assumptions. We got a lot of feedback. We realized that we weren't very good at making natural deodorant at that point. And we needed to, to make tons of things better. But there was like enough there to be like, you know what? We put ourselves out there. We've we've put this idea out there. It's not wholly stupid. 
and it's probably worth like committing the next 12 18 months of our life to see whether we can get to the next stage Interestingly, Freddie, people often say never to go into business with friends or family. So why go into business with with Charlie? Why go into business with a mate? (laughs) It's a good question. I suppose I much prefer to go into business with someone I know really well than someone I don't know really well. You know, we were really clear. We set things out at the start. We realized, you know, we'd had mates who'd gone into business together and it it had not gone well. So we'd kind of seen that and we we sort of talked through that experience. And, you know, that, that, that had been quite divisive within our friendship group. So we, we tried to make it really clear at the start, okay, if this happens, this this will happen. If, if it doesn't work, you know, we, we walk away and we, we try and remain friends. And we realize that you probably, you know, there'll be some problems, but, you know, you, you kind of work the risk. And, you know, it's for me, again, I don't think I could be a solo founder. I have, I have huge admiration for people who do it by themselves, but the mental load and the pressure, I would find phenomenally hard if it was just me and, and it's been the best decision you know, to find with someone. And, you know, as we've grown, we realize we, we complement the skill sets quite nicely and seems to work quite effectively. Although what's interesting is there's just very different challenges as the business grows and what skills and relationship you need when you're, you're going to get starting to what you now need, you know, when we're trying to go, you know, for the next phase of growth are slightly different and, and the dynamics change and the, the pressures change. And so you, you're constantly reevaluating, but Definitely, you know, for me, it's it was a, a um, it's been a great thing, and we we kind of have learned to to work really well together, and we have fun, which is you know I think if we have fun, then the team should have fun, and I think that that's really important. And in terms of drawbacks with working with with a friend, I suppose, have there been any sort of disasters, negative elements, things around that relationship which actually have tarnished it slightly? No, I don't think so. I think you know I'm quite an intense character. I tend to overreact to things, um, feel the pressure a lot, can be slightly hot headed, and then Charlie's very calm, very level headed very self-confident but that it just kind of works and 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 the dynamic works and you know we've definitely had some you know like every startup you have moments of like maybe we won't make it to next week or maybe this is going to kill us or you know whether that's production or you know brand damage or you know cash flow issues or, or or kind of whatever and i think you know also i would say is that again HelloFresh is phenomenally good training for that pressure I'd been working at quite high level and under a lot of pressure to deliver results over a period of time. And, and as I said, with food, you know, things are going wrong all the time and big, big, like big problems. So you kind of, uh, again, in my early years at HelloFresh, I used to really, really care. And I suppose, you know, if I thought deeply about it, I probably would, would say that, you know, probably wasn't the healthiest for my mental mental health but over time you just you learn to become a bit more thick-skinned about it you learn not to overreact and ultimately you know we're quite clear that we can do the best we can do um we're going to give it every shot you know maybe it'd be a bit embarrassing if we fail but ultimately life goes on and there are there are there are there are bigger things out there than than a company and and we should have fun you know we're not having fun doing it then what's the What's the point? And in terms of the manufacturing side of it, when coming up with, I suppose, that natural deodorant, who and where did you go to to get that manufactured? Because that must have been quite a difficult initial journey. Yeah, I mean, again, particularly because in the UK, there's just there's not many people who manufacture it because it's not a very big category, and not none of them were really that interested because, again, they're like, this is a tiny category. 
there's no, you know, it's never going to be a thing. We, we had some, you know, really unfortunate experience where we actually, we found a great manufacturer. We found a great partner. We worked with them for five months, developing the formulation, tweaking it, testing it, you know, all these things. And then went to a big meeting. They had like 20 people in the room. I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. 20 people for our little startup. And they called us the next day and said, we've, we've pulled the project. Um, we don't think it's um, the right opportunity for us. It's not easy to, really not easy in that stage to find a new manufacturer, basically start again with your products. And, and you know, there's very rigorous testing in the UK on olden cosmetics. So you, you kind of need to go back to to the start. So it, it was definitely a real challenge. We, we used some, some contacts and networks to kind of advise us and help us. And, you know, along the way, we found we found some great people and we've kind of been able to, you know, use our, the, the great thing for us, as I said, is I think we're on now our seventh iteration of our deodorant since we, since we launched. So we're able to give really clear customer feedback. This is what they don't like. This is why people are, you know, not happy with wild. How can we go through that, make it better, test it with our community and then, and then kind of roll it out. So that, that's been really, really core cool to, to our success. And, you know, we continue today to, you know, we're always challenging ourselves. How can we, make this better and, and, and get more people using natural DAs. Well, you must be doing something right, because to date you've had over 100,000 customers. You've sold over 300,000 deodorants. Those are big numbers. You've only been going sort of 24 months or so. Now, you know, there must have been some some issues, some disasters around the manufacturing of those 300,000 units over the last 24 months. Talk to me about those. I think we're actually nearly at um, an anniversary of, uh, of one of our greatest disasters where um, we had this... <laughs> huge huge launch planned uh, might even have been this day last year and we're in lockdown so you can't go to you can't go to any of your manufacturers or your third parties but you know i'm they have to send us a, a small batch to to make sure it's all all right and we were switching to a new supplier so we'd, we'd outgrown our initial supplier and we we were switching to a new professionalized supplier and we thought okay you know we've done quite a lot of testing it'll be all right we had this big launch planned Twenty thousand de- deodorants turned up and they were they were all mushy just complete kind of liquid and i just remember calling charlie going you're not going to believe this but they're they're just like completely unusable there's no way we can we can kind of do this again you just go into sort of you've got to solve the problem though like how can we how can we get around this you know so we had to go back to our old supplier we had to you know beg them to throw other people off the line we had to you know go and source ingredients by reaching out to people on social channels etc just just do whatever we can and we we kind of you know we made it through in the end but there was it was pretty bad and 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 what you realize is the reason why a lot of large companies stopped creating natural products is because they don't behave in a way that is suitable for large-scale manufacturing right they're incredibly temperamental they can do things that you're not expecting and um if you combine that with trying to put it in packaging that people told you you should never you never be able to do it, it it's just complex but ultimately that's when you know you're pushing the boundaries it's kind of if it's hard and I know all the people who are now launching natural deodorants, they, they're going to run into the same challenges. It's like it's hard and it's difficult and it's not an exact science. And, you know, we're working with really good people on it, but there are, you know, always challenges in in, in our supply chain. And, and, and that is that's the downside, but also the upside of when you actually do figure these things out and you learn and you you, you don't die from your mistakes, you, you become you know, more defensible versus, 
you know, competitors who are a bit behind you. And you mentioned earlier about the 20,000 cans that were mushy within the business, and that was a genuine disaster. But has there been anything that you've kind of thought would be insurmountable, but actually you managed to to get over because it wasn't that bad? I mean, COVID was was pretty scary. So we, we kind of relaunched the business in April and the world was shutting down. And, yes. you know, there were like there were moments where it was like the warehouse is going to shut down because they're not allowed to, you know, are they key workers? You know, supply chains were closing things have gone gone wrong so and, and i think again that was just like we were four of us in an office and we were probably lean enough and agile enough to like work through it figure it out and and get to the the the, the next phase so yeah just like that always feels like there's some icebergs out there and so far we've been able to swerve left or right and and and, and keep ourselves on on track but you know, i said to the team it's like startups are like computer games you know that you, you kind of go and you get through the first few levels and you're like really pleased with yourself and then you know from time to time you're going through the computer game and you get stuck on a certain level and you just can't complete it and it begins to like get into your head and wear you down and you're like you know maybe you should just throw in and start another game and that's kind of where you find out what you're really made of and 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 what the team are really made of and and how up for it you you kind of are so that's that's the kind of mentality we have and Growing really fast doesn't mean that it gets a lot easier. It, it often means the, the opposite. In terms of when you started, what do you wish you'd kind of known back in the day when you started World that actually today is just common knowledge to you? That's a good question. I think do your research and, and due diligence early on. Don't be scared to ask for help. Don't try and do everything yourselves. You know, if you're not an expert in an area, go and find an expert and learn from them and and use them to to kind of deliver that whether that's in finance whether that's in production you know i think could have avoided a lot of mistakes if i'd reached out to people or got help you know in certain things earlier don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows you know you're, you're going to go through moments of great growth and it's so exciting and you're conquering the world and then the, the moments where it's like it's tougher and it's a grind and the team aren't that happy and your investors aren't that happy and it can change so fast in both ways. And I think, you know, try and stay level-headed and calm. And, you know, obviously you want to drive the performance and week to week, month to month, day to day. And 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 that urgency is really important. But ultimately, what I need to care about more and more is like, where are we going to be in five and 10 years time? And are we making the right general decisions? Are we hiring the right people? Are we creating the right culture? Are we looking after our customers enough to, to build a business that deserves to be around there and 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 that people want to to buy from and when things get tough and you sort of you know you say you're hot headed you throw your toys out the pram you get angry sometimes and i and i totally get that and charlie may calm you down but <laughs> you know when things do get tough how do you kick yourself on motivate yourself and, and and get out of bed in the morning i'm a very um just very competitive person you know i don't i don't like disappointing people i don't like people letting um letting people down and we've got employees we've got customers you know i've got a family now so you know you've got you've got plenty of motivation to go and make it happen and you know ultimately I, I love what we do we're doing we're trying to do something good we're trying to do something positive we don't always get it right but we you know as long as we're giving it our best shot and i also think you know i also see saw wild as like the worst thing that can happen is that i learn a lot about myself and i learn a lot more about like actually running a business and being being the person making the big decisions and i still think that today you know as long as i'm learning and growing even if that's from big mistakes and big errors then that's only a positive thing it's only you know 
if you take a long-term view, that's only going to help you achieve more of what you want to in your life, even if there are setbacks along along the way. In terms of what you've learned about, about yourself, Freddie, over the last couple of years, uh, whilst, whilst running wild, what have you personally learned about yourself? I, I think I, I learn what I enjoy, you know, that I, I enjoy people, I enjoy building relationships. That's fundamentally what I'm good at. And then, uh, you know, as I said, it's it's just I'm learning about trying to become a little less hot-headed, trying to become a little less caught up in the moment. And and you become, you know, whether you like it or not, you set the example now to the employees and they, they're going to follow you. And so you have to really think about that and think about the tone you're setting, the way you interact with them, the way you set their set their goals. So so just trying to think a lot more about those kind of things as we as we go look to the the next phase of growth for for wild. But I also you know I've learned that startups is what I love. I, you know I love the autonomy of, of of being able to make the decisions and and ultimately you know the responsibility and accountability that that comes with that and and. I can now see myself doing doing anything else. Have you ever made a decision that you kind of regret making? Yeah, I've made lots of decisions. I, I you know, I regret making. Nothing is set in stone, and and nothing can't be overturned. And 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 again, the biggest learning for me is like understanding when you've made the wrong decision and not being too proud or too selfish to to admit that, whether that's to your team or to yourself or to 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 your kind of family and and running it. So. I actually became a dad. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thanks. In, in the same same couple of months that we sort of started one. So it's like a big, life, quite a lot of life change moments and, and quite a lot of um, challenging trade-offs between, you know, wild and, and, and family life. And and those, those, those frictions still exist today. And, you know, um, certainly really challenging being a good, trying to be a good dad and trying to be a good CEO. And, and, and I'm often neither, um, but I'm always kind of, trying to trying to work my way through it and learn how to to do both and and be good at both and i think again ultimately having a happy family and 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 kind of um supporting that unit you know does is is still more important you know wild is not growth at all costs from my perspective a solid home life and and being around for my son and, and and wife and you know hopefully that stability then actually plays into um to helping me grow wild and and be a, a good manager in, in that front as well truly inspiring and, and genuinely commendable but in terms of looking at startups you love startups i love startups for people that are listening to this that are wanting to go into the world of startup or or entrepreneurialism what piece of advice would you give them so the best thing i did getting into startups was i, I had an amazing boss um who i learned a huge amount from and um, so think if you're going to go into startups and you don't want to start your one initially and you're thinking like what company I should join, it, it couldn't matter what vertical it is in, what product it's in, you know, what you need to, to really find is like, who are the great founders out there and how can I go and work from them and, 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 and learn from them? And likewise, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of great ideas out there, wonderful companies with terrible founders who haven't created good cultures or haven't great, great place to work. And, and you see people just really being held back in those companies, um, and, and, and sort of knocking them back on their confidence and their career journey. So I think people find the right people, not the right business. Um, and if you find the right people that will help guide you to where you, wherever you want to go, that will open more doors than you can, you can ever imagine. 
So that's my my first kind of bit of advice. And then um, secondly, if you want to kind of start your own business, I'd say try and find a low risk way to validate it. Just try and try and do something where on a on a relatively small budget, after six months, you can say, you know what, this is this is going to be worth committing the next few years of my life to, or actually, I'm it's not quite the right time, or I'm not quite the right kind of person. So I think my view on this is don't you don't need to go all in on on day one and you should definitely make the leap but the leap isn't as big as it as as a lot of people build it up to be you know it might be a bit embarrassing and you might you know all you can do is learn a bit about yourself and a bit about whether you actually want to do entrepreneurialism i think the the slight challenge comes when you fully commit you raise money and it's all exciting and then you kind of get a year in and you realize oh maybe this isn't the right category or maybe i don't have the right skills and I think that's when it that that's the only time when people maybe think twice about being that founder. The two excellent points there, and in terms of if I wanted to to buy your product, or indeed anyone listening wanted to buy your product, Freddie, where can I go to find Wild? Yeah, so just to reiterate, Wild's mission is to remove single-use plastic and unnecessary chemicals from your everyday bathroom routines. We have a great refillable natural uh, deodorant available now at wearewild.com, so you get an aluminium case, and then biodegradable refills that you can compost at home, biodegrades within six months. What you can be really sure is that they're never ending up in an ocean or a plastic patch or or anywhere like that. And deodorant is just the start for a while. We have big plans and big ambitions. So keep an eye out and hopefully some exciting stuff to come in, in 2022 and beyond. And Freddie, before you go, what does success look like to you? I, it's, as I said to you, success for me is not just about business. I'm, I'm I'm not Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or, you know, I'm, I'm not an all at all costs business guy. It's it's about having, a, a, you know, balanced life between family and, 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 and work and finding that work fulfilling and having a team that's growing and excited and, and, and developing and, and solving problems. That's that's kind of what we want to achieve. And and hopefully we build wild into something uh, meaningful. And, and I think meaningful you know, to be a meaningful business, you need you need millions of customers to, to be able to do that. So that's that's kind of definitely our ambition as we as we look to the future. Can't wait to keep watching and good luck with getting those millions of customers, Freddie. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. See you next week, 8am on all podcast platforms. Simply subscribe or ask your smart speaker to play Success is in the Mind podcast. This is a Pinpoint Media podcast presented by me, Oliver Bruce, produced by Dan Miller and Fergus Bruce, edited and designed by Harry Fox and Victoria Bramwell, filmed by Madeline Harris, marketed by Ellie Hanwell and Rachel Buchanan-Hughes and managed by Bethan Wyatt and Annabelle Lawton-Smith. Quite a team. Thanks, guys. If you know anyone you think we should interview, if you want to tell your story or have your say, please reach out to me directly via podcast at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Cheers, guys.